wings now? My ballerina costume does. Grammy? Who are you? No. Uh-uh. I don't remember. What? Hello, little one. <gasps> I am your friend. Welcome to the Kentucky Ghost Hunter Show. As always, this is the Kentucky Ghost Hunter with my co-host, Kevin Quatman out of Cincinnati. Kevin, say hi. Hi, everybody. And tonight's guest, we're very lucky to have Nikki Allen. And uh, Nikki is from over the pond in England. She was trying to explain to us exactly where she was during uh, during our introduction. But uh, nobody knew where she was from, so we tried to explain to her where we were from. And she had a little trouble, too, so we all have trouble with geography. So, anyway, Nikki, welcome to the show. Tell us about yourself. Hello. Thank you for having me. Just to let you know, I'm southwest of the country, just so you know. A bit below and a bit to the left of um, London. (laughs) (laughs) Just so you're totally clear. Um, Well, what can I say about myself? Um, I think I should start at the beginning, really. Um, I've been born into many generations of mediums before me. Um, so I kind of look at myself as like a Harry Potter, which is quite, which is quite good actually, because I'm actually sitting in Harry Potter pajamas as I talk, <laughs> and I see, and everybody else are muggles. So what I mean by that is, is that I was born psychic um, and as a medium. Um, it was stronger on my dad's side. Um, everybody in my family has psychic ability, healing ability mediumship where we can um, connect with the angel realms spirit world so for us growing up in an environment um, understanding the spirit world was very natural to all of us so you know when you kind of go around to your mum and dad's or your your, your grandpa and your grandma um, rather than have cake and tea we would have like tea leaf readings and tarot cards on the table (laughs) so it's very very different Um, And so I kind of grew up with it, but I always wanted to be a cop, always wanted to be a detective. Um, And I think my first, yeah, my first spirit person that I saw was my dad. He died in a road accident um, when I was nine years old. And three days after um, he passed, I saw him drive by in a car when I was walking my dog with my auntie. And... uh, he kind of stopped and said, I'm okay, Nikki, don't worry. 
So you can imagine what it was like when I went back home with everybody grieving and I'm obviously hitting the roof because I've just seen him alive. So I'm going home saying to everybody, I've just seen him alive. I've just seen him alive. Why are you lying? Why have you said he died? And um, my granddad, my grandpa basically said to me, look, you know, you need to know that you're going to be seeing a lot of spirit people as you grow up. And I'm like, right, okay then. But I was still intent on being a cop. So I worked really hard at school and became a detective, very young actually, female detective, um, which helped me a lot, to be honest with you, because (laughs) all the hunches um, that I had were obviously psychic intervention. And what was really weird was, was that I used to work on major, you know, investigations and predominantly murders. And a lot of the time I'd get a lot of information from the victims themselves So it'd be pretty hard because I'd go into like, you know, see the family of the murder victim and I would see the victim like standing in the corner or sitting in the room, which was really tough because I had to be a professional. But on the same token, I was looking at the victim who's trying to give me clues as to who killed them. So that was pretty impressive (laughs) and difficult. So when I ever got any information, we used to have to kind of pretend that it was an anonymous phone call that came in. And because that was the only way to get warrants or do anything. So we used to pretend that someone had phoned in with information. But what it really was, was information that I had. Um, You know, some people were very sceptical, but then I ended up doing readings for, you know, the people who I work with, their wives and their family. And so it got around that I had this ability. Um, And I used to do all sorts of things. Um, There was a baby that was stolen from hospital once, which was a really big big thing in the news over here in the UK at the time and um, one of they shouldn't have done it really but one of them gave me the blanket that the bait that the woman had dropped who stole the baby and so I knew exactly where the baby was what time the baby be returned what the baby was wearing and um, I described the person who had taken them and what area they lived in and it was all correct and the baby came back safe So it it really worked well in that kind of um, environment. Um, But sadly, after 18 years service, I was um, trying to save a girl's life and I ended up ripping seven ribs away from my spinal joint. And uh, unfortunately, I got medically retired. Um, And I was there was no way on this planet that I was going to be a full time medium. You know, it was kind of like a busman's holiday for us. We didn't really want to do it for a living. You know, my granddad used to work at Scotland Yard as a psychic and help them out. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Doris Stokes, but he knew her. Um, and, you know, it, it wasn't we, we didn't really do a massive. I don't, I don't really want to call it commercial, but nobody really, you know, went out there and and had a profile like I did. I was the first one to kind of break the mold in our family and the generations. And uh, I was a roughy tufty detective. There was no way I was going to do love and light mediumship and God knows what, ghost hunts. But it just literally, what happened was, I think it was about six months after I got retired, my house came alive. Um, The only way I can describe it is if I'd walk under a light fitting or a chandelier, it would swing and smash against the ceiling. Light bulbs would explode. I had spirit people coming into the room and my partner at the time could even hear them and see them. I was like, what the hell's going on? Um, And then I had one of the things I cannot stand, and I think a lot of people agree with me on this, are babies crying. 
And I used to have this, you know, like the newborn real screaming cry. I used to have that in my bedroom and I'd get up and then the cry would move to another room. And so I'd follow it there and then it would go elsewhere. And, and, and at the end of the day, I'm an open-minded skeptic. You know, I don't think everything is fluffy and spiritual and ghosty. And, uh, I, you know, I tried to find out if there was an intercom anywhere that was echoing the sound of a baby, if there was any babies born in the street. And there was nothing. And it happened every single night. And I just kept having spirit people after spirit people calling my name, slamming doors, ringing the doorbell. The phone would ring. There'd be nobody on the end of the line apart from white noise. I would turn all the lights off at night, go, go upstairs and then come back down and all the lights were back on. It was just an absolute nightmare. And it was, um, as I say, about six months this was going on for. And no matter what I did, I couldn't stop them. You know, I'd done ghost hunts before and things like that. And I knew I knew how to deal with spirit people, but they were not going anywhere. I can tell you that now. And uh, basically, my friend wanted me to go with her to see a medium for a reading. And she was too scared to go on her own. So I thought, I'll go with her. And um, as I went up to the door, the medium opened the door, didn't know I was coming with my friend and said to me, you know, the baby isn't going to stop crying until you work for the spirit world full time. It's the first thing that came out of her mouth. I was like, wow, okay then. Um, and basically, I ended up going to an evening of mediumship. I think, it, you know, like a demonstration where mediums go on stage and bring messages to the audience. And um, as I sat in this hall, in the reflection of the windows opposite me were three men... And I thought, God, they're being a bit rude. The show's about to start. They're still standing up. And I then realised they were spirit people just showing their image through the glass, which, you know, is quite easy to do. If we go back to scrying times and, you know, where we would sit and see images and trans transformations and transfiguration in mirrors and things like that, it was quite easy for them to do. And they started talking to me. And I thought, wow, this is just, you know, they're everywhere. And then the medium picked me and I kind of jumped because I was too busy talking to these three dead people in the window. And um, she said, you know, you've got to hold on tight. You're, you're just going to travel the world. Everyone's going to know you for what you do. You're going to be writing. You're going to be on television. You're going to do. And I'm thinking, what the hell is she talking about? How am I going to do that as a detective, an ex-detective? I didn't really get what she meant. And so afterwards, I went up to her and said, can you see those three guys in the window? And she's like, no. And I said, well, one of them, I can't remember their names now, guys. But um, I basically said, well, one's called Kevin. I was like, oh, no, I'm just saying Kevin because, Kevin, you're there. I'm just bringing up. And uh, <laughs> one's called Mark and one's called John, whatever you want to call them. And as I as I looked at her, she, her mouth was open. She goes, you've just described um, my dad, my late husband and my son. And so she goes, you really need to get a grip of this because – you know, obviously they want you to work. So I thought, you know what, I've got to, I've got to do this. Um, and so that was in 2003. Um, and basically I thought, right, okay, I better start doing it full time because all of my CVs that I put in for jobs kept coming back as not delivered if I did them, you know, digitally and online. And I just couldn't get a job. Do you know what I did, right? I even tried because it was getting so ridiculous because I had so many, like, you know, credentials. And I even tried a job in McDonald's because I thought, do you know what? I'm just going to try it. And that even come back and saying I was overqualified. And I'm like, what? 
I couldn't even get a job in McDonald's and I, I just could not get any jobs anywhere. And so I thought, right, I, I went down to my friend's beauty salon in the town, which was Essex at the time, which is right next to London. And um, I said, look, can I just use a room and do a couple of readings because I just can't get a job? And so she said, yeah, fine. Um, and I did my readings that first day. And when I went home, the baby stopped crying and the house settled and was calm as you like. And literally within about two weeks, I had a six month waiting list. And then the rest is history. I, it literally, as that medium said, it just literally flew before I knew it, I was consulting on documentaries. I'd already um, got together a ghost hunt team. Um, I started writing in magazines, doing lots of freelance writing. Um, I was demonstrating all over Europe, um, doing my mediumship on stage. I toured around the army camps in Germany to help out all the wives and um, the soldiers with PTSD. And it just literally flew. It, it was just a remarkable ride. And I was so surprised, but not surprised, if that makes sense, because I knew that, you know, that it was kind of like my destiny. I know that sounds a bit law, but it, it was like, yeah, OK, you want me to work? I'm doing it. And basically, that's how it all happened, how I ended up being um, a full time professional medium. That's a good little story, isn't it? Did you like that's that? That's a long, long story, long story, but a good one. <laughs> I, I, cut, I cut out a lot of it, trust me, because there were some pretty remarkable things that happened. Um, but, yeah, it was it was absolutely great. I loved every minute of it. I loved doing – I only did um, TV programs that I thought were beneficial, to be honest with you, to the public, or I could reach out and help. My main, my main effort is, is obviously loss and dealing with people – you know, that are dealing with, with people that have passed over. Obviously, I had all of that experience as a cop and I was brief, trained and all the rest of it. And so really, I knew that I wanted to just help people deal with the loss and also bring them evidence um, of the afterlife, if you like. And the thing is, is that my guides up there, I hate the word guides. It sounds all like spooky dookie. I, I call them my men. It sounds so much more cooler. Mind you, I have got a woman as well. I'm not going to lie. I've got a woman there as well. She's lovely. And, um, you know, when they, they came and started working with me, they introduced themselves most probably about a year later. And uh, interestingly enough, I will digress because, um, one of the, because again, I'm an open-minded sceptic, I basically had this bloke who I'd been dreaming of for years, for years, real, like, old, decrepit bloke with, like, a brown robe on. And um, he used to keep sitting there and not say a word to me. I used to dream of him since I was a kid. And I thought, who the hell is this? Anyway, one day I was outside sunbathing. Because we do get sun here sometimes, you know, guys. We do get it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was... <laughs> And I was sunbathing and this man who I'd, who I'd seen in dreams and meditation came and said, right, it's time for me to introduce myself. I was like, right, OK. So I kind of was like half meditation, half sleep state. And he said, um, come with me. So I, was, I ended up feeling freezing cold. I was in this cave and he pulled back this rock and I walked out and it was boiling hot and there were cypress trees. And I said, where are we? And he said, we're in Trastevere, Rome. So like, right, OK. And I said, well, what era are we in? So he said, 1452. He said, I'm going to show you how I know you and why I look after you. I was like, right, OK. 
so we then walked down this path from this mountain and went up to this um, church called St. Cecilia's. And I could see it was in like a square and there was these big pillars. And I walked through the pillars and there was like this big fountain and there was like a, a monastery. And he said, this year in 1452, you were welcomed into the house of Mary Magdalena. I'm like, right, OK. And so he said, now come with me. And he took me to um, St. Cecilia's tomb. He then brought another man in, this elderly man, and he said, I I'm Nicholas V, and I look after you in this diocese. I'm like, okay then. And so it kind of went on for a while. I don't want to bore you with it all, but basically he then, at the end of the meditation, said to me, we must make haste because Ava Mary is upon us. I didn't know what that meant. He looked up at the sun, and I'm like, right, I haven't got a clue what you're talking about. So then obviously the man who I've been seeing since I was a kid was called Julianus he said my name is Julianus and I'm written upon the walls of this place so what did I do guys I got a ticket to Rome right because I thought if this is some if I've got to now tell people there's an afterlife if I've got to tell people that there are angels that look out for us and help us on our journey and if I've got to evidence it, I need to know that I'm talking the truth and it's not BS. Do you know what I mean? So I'm like, I'm going to go over there. And if this church isn't there, then I know that this is all just me making it up. And I was so scared on that plane going over to Rome because I thought, if this doesn't exist, what am I going to do? So I got over to Rome, booked into a hotel and then got called a taxi, got in the taxi and said, can you take me to St. Cecilia's Church in Trastevere? And so he said, yeah. Well, he said, "See, si, obviously, because we're in Italy. And he drives me to this place. And I literally burst into tears because as he stops, I'm looking at St. Cecilia's Church, um, which was exactly how I'd seen it about a year ago when I'd had this magnificent meditation um, and he says, oh, you're OK, you're OK. I said, no, it's fine, it's fine, I'm, I'm OK. So I walked, I knew exactly where I was going. I walked through the pillars, walked through, and there was a busk of Julianus, the man that I'd seen. And his words of prophecy were written in an archway in St. Cecilia's church. And it turns out that in 1452, nuns were welcomed into the church to actually live with the monks Um in the house of Mary Magdalena. I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. And then when I read, he's a, he's a Saint, Saint, I can't blinking say it, St. Franciscan monk. And what they do is, as part of their sabbatical, before they actually go into the monasteries, they spend time reflecting on their soul in, in a cave in those times. So that's why he'd had me in the cave right at the beginning. I was like, wow, this is really cool. So anyway, I walked around there, saw everything I needed to see. And then I thought, right, okay. I'm going to go to the Vatican because obviously this bloke had rocked up saying I'm Nicholas V. So I'm like, right, okay. So I go to the Vatican and I walk up to this guy, um, one of the people, you know, one of the guides there. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's quite far for you to go, I suppose. But um, I walked in there and there's thousands of people in there at any given time, thousands walking around, huge place. And I said to this guide, um, I said, look, can you tell me where Pope Nicholas V's um, crypt is? He said, no, he's not here. And I said, yes, he is. And he said, no, he's not. It's not in the guidebook. He's not here. I said, yes, he is. And I was getting quite, you know, I'm not an aggressive person. Well, I used to be as a cop. I'm only joking. 
And uh, I basically said to him, he's here. I know he's here. And so in the end, I went, oh, don't worry. And I literally marched across through all these people, absolutely packed there. And I saw this doorway. I knew exactly where I was going. I walked down these steps. And the second crypt on the right, I literally flung myself over it like I was standing over like a grave of a loved one, you know. And I was crying my eyes out. These two nuns come up. And say, so, are you okay? Do you need help? I'm saying, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. And when I looked at the plaque next to the crypt, it was Pope Nicholas V, who presided over the diocese in 1452 um, and covered St. Cecilia's Church. And so basically, then and there, smack bang right in front of me, I got my evidence. So after I'd stayed there for a while, I walked back up. And I was I was going to walk out of the Vatican and this guide, how he spotted me, talk about synchronicity and absolute miracle. He spots me and goes, oh, Signora, Signora, I go over to him and he said, um, come with me, come with me. He goes, you're a very special lady. He goes, I'm very, very sorry. I spoke with one of the old curators here and Pope Nicholas V crypt is downstairs, but it's not in the guidebook. How did you know? And so I said, I just know. I said, I don't want to, you know, I didn't want to be disrespectful because we're in like a Catholic place. Do you know what I mean? And he said, come with me. So he took me around this back room. I'm actually going to get him in trouble now, bless him. But he took me to this back room and he said to me, this is the back door to one of the gift shops. He goes, go and get a couple of files, glass files. So I said, okay. So well, I went to the um, till, to the... Um, lady and said right I want these bottles you know these glass bottles and so she gave me the change she went oh she said you've got one of um, the Pope's gold coins in your change she goes that's not supposed to be in like you know for public use I went oh no you can have it back she goes no you keep it and I thought that's a bit weird so I go back to this guide man and he takes his files speaks to this man with an earpiece bloke looks at me with the earpiece and then walks off with my these bottles, comes back, gives me these bottles, and this guide says to me, you're a very special lady. We've given you holy water from one of the private fonts of the Pope. And I said, are you joking? He went, no, you need to have these. And just to swift you on a few more years, I actually healed a tumour in my dog's jaw with that water. And a selenite wand, which is crystal, a crystal wand. And to the effect that when I took my dog back to the vet, they said that that tumour was killing her. And they put it down as an anomaly in Cambridge University of Oncology because they said it's completely disappeared. And I said, it's because I healed it. And they, they just look at me like I was mad. And it completely <laughs> disappeared. And so that was the story of how I, I, I found out about my first guy. The, the second one that I need to go and find out is in Arizona. So that's one of the ticky boxes I need to do um, either this year or next year is go to Arizona and find my roots there. But it's a really incredible story, isn't it? Because I, I was petrified that I'd go there and like none of it would make sense and I was just a nutter. <laughs> but... <laughs> I got there and I saw everything slap bang. And when I came back and um, I spoke to Julianus in meditation, he said, you doubted me, didn't you? He calls me Nicola. That's my actual real name is Nicola. And I hate it. Only my doctor's allowed to call me Nicola. 
And um, he said, you doubted me, Nicola, didn't you? I said, I didn't doubt you, but others will. So I need to make sure I evidence everything I say and know it's real for myself before I share it, you know? And so everything that I do, even when I do like ghost hunts, anything at all, I don't share it. I don't, um, you know, let the public know about certain things unless I know it's 100% genuine. And that's how I work. And I suppose it's a bit like being a cop because you kind of like, you know, with, with a cop, you've got to get your evidence, haven't you, to take it to court and put it before a jury. And so I'm kind of getting my evidence and putting it before my audiences. So it's very similar. Well, it's, it's kind of similar. You know what I mean. So it's, you know, I, I just... I'm going to let me ask you a quick question here because I want to back up a little bit here a minute. Here in the United States, um, you used to be a police officer, and when I heard what you were saying there about the how you used your abilities during police investigations, they they don't look at it too well down here in the states. Uh, I mean, they look no, at I... it as skepticism. Is it different there in in Europe as far as as how police use psychics? No, it's still exactly the same. To be honest with you, it was only because I was obviously a detective on the team, and they knew what I was doing, and I'd, I'd said a couple of things before, and it it had come out right. And so um, they kind of, some people, you know, they, they really were just laughed at me. But a lot of people that saw that I was right before started saying to me, what do you reckon? So I found missing people and all sorts of things. Um, but then the other side of the coin is, is that if any psychics phoned into a murder inquiry or a kidnap inquiry or anything like that, they would always throw those inquiries to me, go, go on, go and see the nutters. You know, so it was a bit tongue in cheek, to be honest with you. But unfortunately... It's the same here, you know, they really don't take us seriously, which is a massive shame because I've had dreams, you know, I don't know if you, you got it over there, guys, the um, the woman that got murdered in New Zealand a couple of uh, weeks ago. I've not ago. heard of that. Have you heard of that, yeah. Kevin? Uh, possibly. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not being reported here, I guess, at all, really. It was it was only because, you know, they don't tend to have a lot of tourist murders over in New Zealand. And um, literally, I said to my partner, it was on the Sunday night, Sunday the 2nd of December, I said to him, oh, my God, someone's just been murdered and they've just come to me. And I know that they're, a, they're like a young girl and that she's traveling and I don't know what to do about it. I said, I'm telling you now, in the next two days, it's going to be in the newspapers and I need to speak to the family because I, I can kind of help them. And so... It was actually the day later that they'd reported her missing. I said, that's her. And funnily enough, the reason why there was a link is because even though she was in New Zealand, she actually lived a couple of miles away from me, from when I lived in Essex near London. And so that may have been why she come to me. I, I get a lot of murder victims come to me because obviously I can handle it, I suppose, because that's my old job. Um, and I literally tried to message the family and all I got was trolled on Twitter and all that. I said, look, you know, this is what I know. And um, I knew she'd been murdered. And then obviously they found her body about five days later. But I knew where she was and how it happened. I could see the man that had done it. Um, and yet you just get you just get laughed at. You know, that's the problem you get. Um, I've also done it on. We had a long time ago, there was a series of prostitutes that were murdered in Suffolk over here. There was a serial murderer who was killing prostitutes. And um, 
I, I could see the victims. I even knew the first victim came to me the night she'd been murdered, but her body wasn't found till four weeks later. And I'd been telling people about it. I knew exactly where the man lived, the area, his job, what he looked like, what his car looked like. But nobody listens to you. And it's such a shame because we could really help. You know, these people that talk about, do you know, you must know about Madeline, the girl that was taken um, over in Portugal many, many years ago. And you might not, Madeline McCann, young, she's only a little top that was taken um, from uh, an apartment when the family were on holiday. And, you know, you start, do you remember that one? Yes. Yeah, it's a big one, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that as soon as you read, and I'm not being disrespectful to religions or anything, but as soon as you read they're either Christians or, they're, you know, they're a certain religion, you don't even bother to, you know, lend a hand because they're not going to listen to you because obviously they don't really like what we do. So it's very, very frustrating. It's like even, you know, we had that, they had that massive earthquake over in, um, oh God, where was it? Where was the earthquake where they had the big tsunami? Indonesia. And two days before that, I dreamt that I was there and there was an earthquake and basically there was a tsunami. And again, I said to my partner, my God, there's going to be hundreds and hundreds of people dead in the next couple of days. There's a huge tsunami. So I think it's over Indonesia away. But there's nothing you can do about it. It's just because you're in tune with the universal energy. So if there's like going to be big, massive vibrations that affect like the universal energy, I pick up on it for some reason. There's nothing you can do about it. But it's just a shame that when it comes down to, you know, people being missing or being murdered, that people don't don't listen. You know, I do um, a column in a magazine, um, Fate and Fortune, Psychic Detective, and I do like cold case murders. And it's and people love reading those. And you just think, well, why can't we just take that step? And let us have a go and help the police, you know. But I don't think it's ever going to happen, not not in this day and age at the moment. Because unfortunately, I think there's still a lot of... See, the thing is, and again, I'm not being disrespectful, but some of the shows that come out to do with mediums, they're not done right. It's almost like they're, they're too scared to try and show us as realistic people, so they do it as an entertainment programme. And so we, we're never really going to shed brilliant light on ourselves, are we, at the end of the day? And I kind of got over that frustration now because I just think, right, if I'm doing good and I'm helping people, then let the media get on with whatever they want to say or do because you're always going to get it. You know, the sceptics call us frauds. The sceptics say to us that... You know, we're we're taking advantage of vulnerable people, but I don't I don't go to anybody and tell them I've got to work with them. Everybody comes to me from all over the world. You know, I'm not forcing them to. I just say, well, this is what I can do. It's up to you if you want to get my help or not, and they come. You know, and it's just ridiculous. I do so much for charities where I do a lot of free work, um, and main and at the moment I'm writing my book. Um, my, I've got six books and I'm writing a book at the moment so I'm really not doing a lot of work at all but I help people every day who message me and I'll phone them up and help them and guide them so it's not about the money at the end of the day um, it's about helping people and the thing is though I, I kind of say to sceptics they say oh you know you're you're abusing your your power if you've got one and all of this I say well you don't say that about footballers or artists they've got a natural ability and they're getting money for it stupid money for it and I said, we just literally need to pay our bills um, and we just charge for our time, not our ability, like everybody else does that's got a natural ability. 
you know so I can get a bit angry with that because people think that we're just doing it for the money and I never even wanted to do this if my house wasn't alive perhaps I would be working in McDonald's flipping burgers (laughs) but you know it's just it's just it's sometimes tough but you know I kind of come away from that now and I don't allow the trolls or the people that you know are very judgmental to affect me anymore because that's their opinion let them get on with it you know you just got to keep away from those sort of people yeah. and I just, hey. I just go on well, I was going to ask you we got a lot of people that listen to our show that uh, feel they have abilities like you not to the extent you have but there's a lot out there that are, they feel they're mediums or or they've got some kind of connection to the spirit world and they're kind of scared to say anything to anybody because of exactly what you have been telling us here tonight so what advice would you give them as far as if they know they have the ability but they just don't know where to go with it my advice would be um because i I've, I've been over to florida um, and I, I ended up really weirdly, I, I was giving, a re- I, I walked into a shop in Florida Mall and this lady had just lost her baby and, and, um, and her grandmother kept saying, tell her, tell her, I've got the little boy, it's fine. And I thought, oh my God, I was like in this shop and she was behind the, like the, the, the cash, what do you call it, register. And I thought, oh my God, I can't. And I thought, sod it, I'm just, I'm just going to say it. So I went up to her, I said, darling, I said, look, I know... I know this is really weird, but your grandmother's here and she's saying that you you lost your little boy last month and she's just saying, and she was just crying her eyes out. I thought, oh, my God. But it turned out she she was from a local spiritualist church. Her energy was very strong and she luckily she kind of was really grateful for the message. And so she said, oh, you've got to come and work at our spiritualist centre. And so I don't know how many you have over there, to be honest with you, your spiritualist churches. But what I would recommend is um, these people that have got these abilities is finding like minded people, either at a local spiritualist centre or church. Um, I also my friend um, runs a website which also reaches across to the US called the spiritguides.co.uk. And if you type in the area you live in, it will show you all of the spiritual classes and workshops and centres that you can go to where you'll be welcomed with open arms because everybody's been there. Every, you know, everybody... It, like, funnily enough, I was talking to a friend um, today, weirdly enough, this morning, um, and her daughter is exactly the same as that. She's got this ability. She's a young lady. And, you know, the problem with teenagers is is they, they feel they don't fit. They have social problems. Sometimes they have depression because that's part of what we can get because we want to be home or we're so used to having high vibration hit us through the spirit world that when you don't get that, you can get depression. And so you're getting all these children that, have, you know, that are spiritually orientated and they don't know what to do with it. And so people kind of outcast and they get bullied and all sorts of things. So I would say to, you know, any age, if that's kind of happening, where you've even got children who are saying, Mum, I've just seen your mum who I never met, you know, which is happening a lot now. The vow was thinned because we're in crisis all over the planet. And this is why we're getting all the tsunamis and all the rest of it. It's all the whole yin and yang has gone wrong. And so this is what I've been told. I, I don't read anything. I only go by what my guides tell me and what I get in meditation and what I get in messages from them in dream state. And they basically said that they're making um, these new children, from the millennium children, from the millennium onwards, more spiritually aware so that they can get on board and start educating humankind on where they're going wrong 
and they're obviously just starting it now and it will reach through the generations and I know I'm one of those people I'm part of the ambassadors you know my brother works as a full-time medium and health intuitive um, my sister is a Reiki healer and a healer as well and we know that part of what we need to do is get this awareness out there and so what I would say to the people that have got children also that are spiritually aware or talking about visitations and things like that just find out, just go on Google and literally just put in spiritualist center, whatever area you're in, walk through those doors because we've all been there. We've all been like alone or felt that we were going to be judged or, you know, perhaps we've come from a strong religious family. Walk through those doors. and It'll be the best thing you've ever done, because if it's the same as it is over here in the UK, which I'm sure it is from, you know, the people I've spoken to, you can do workshops to develop your ability. You can find out what your fortes are. Some people are healers. Some are better at mediumship in respect of, you know, connecting with people from the spirit world. Some people are better as psychics, which means that they blend with the energy in front of them of the person and know everything about that person. And you'll, you'll basically find your way in a safe environment where you won't be judged. So that's what I'd recommend for those people. It is really tough. But luckily for me, because my family are all like it, all Harry Potters, <laughs> I basically, you know, I felt safe doing it. But saying that, though, socially, I've always, even as a teenager, I've always enjoyed the company of older people because you find that spiritual, like young spiritual people and children they're like kind of got old bones they're a lot older than they they actually are because they've got such an old soul so I found that I never really fitted in in school I found that you know I had to work hard at trying to be in social groups because I always felt different and so that's one of the biggest things is feeling different so if you find like-minded people or go to play like Sedona you know what a perfect place to go in Arizona Go to places that you know there's lots of spiritual people about and then you can start belonging and then flourishing and allowing yourself to be who you really should be, if that makes sense. You know, because it's like, do you know what I love about babies and children is, you know, I remember with my my niece, she was um, sitting in a high chair years ago, sitting in a high chair and, she, and we were trying to teach her ta, as in thank you. So if, if we gave her a bit of toast, we say, say ta. And so she literally, I was babysitting for her, and she put her hand up with Marmite on toast and basically said ta to someone, like completely invisible, was going ta. And she was like frowning as if to tell whoever it was to say thank you for this toast she was giving them. And then I looked across, saw a blue flash of light. And then in the bathroom, a bubble machine turned itself on and all these bubbles came out. And she was laughing and looking straight at whoever it was. And I think it was my dad, actually. I sensed it was my dad there. And so to see the beauty of when children and young, you know, and babies are so pure, they haven't been affected by social or parental influence at that point. And so they're totally innocent and open to anything that's shown in front of them. So they clearly see spirit people. They clearly see angel realms. They clearly see anything celestial. However, they're then conditioned to keep their mouth shut, aren't they? Once they get to school age, if they start saying that sort of thing, or their parents get scared by it, then they start closing their mouths. But the people that are meant to be ambassadors, that are meant to do this, like me and my family, we push through that and stand our ground. 
you know, and say, no, I am seeing this, so get over it. You know, my granddad was the best. He used to he used to go down um, the corner shop um, and he used to meet a soldier from the Second World War that was blessing. His spirit was still standing there all this time waiting for his girlfriend. And so my granddad used to go past and go, you're still waiting for your sweetheart? And he'd go, yep, I am, sir. So then my granddad would go and get the newspaper, come back and sit and chat with him for a while. And he really didn't care what people thought. So, you know, some people thought he was mad. And my, my nan... My grandma used to say to him, you're talking to a dead one again, Fred. Stop doing it. And he didn't care. He would just talk to people, spirit people in front of people. He would chat away and he just really didn't care what other people thought. And I thought that's a lovely way to be. Um, and so not only would I also suggest people going to these spiritualist centres um, or, or even finding, you know, it's like I do a YouTube channel, um, The Bedroom Guru, um, that's another story. I'll explain that in a minute why I'm the bedroom guru. But I've, I've started doing those purely because I get so many people from over the world emailing me saying, what do I do? You know, I've got this ability. How do I do this? What's this about? So do you know what? Rather than spend five hours in the morning, you know, messaging all these people back, I thought I might as well explain things on the YouTube channel to people so they understand it. And I can reach people that way, you know. So have a look on YouTube and type in, um, you know, mediums and get also get advice from that as well. You know, the wonderful thing we've got, I know there's bad things on the internet, but the good thing is you can reach out to forums and groups of like-minded people that can help you, you know. So that's another way of trying to, of finding a way to belong is find spiritualist forums or mediumship forums or psychic forums or if not just give me a message i don't mind come and say hello to me i'll, I'll help you wherever you are in the world um, so how does how does somebody find a real deal though uh nikki i mean there's a lot of people out there that act like they're mediums and you know there's some people that's even on tv that act like they're mediums you can tell they're not really what they say they are but if i'm a person that's wanting to reach out to somebody besides you because you know you just said we yeah. can contact you anytime but if somebody's going to reach out to somebody that says I'm a psychic medium or I can talk to your your parents that have passed on, yeah. How do how do we know if they're real or not? That's a really good question, darling. Um, what I would say to you is is that if you are doing more talking than the medium, get up and walk out. If the medium is charging you stupid money, don't even walk through the door. Um, and basically how I work is, is that because I do a lot of telephone readings, obviously, to cover the fact that there's people in Europe and all around the world. And so people say to me, how do you do that? And I said, well, basically, I just listen to the vibration of the voice and wait for things to come. So, you know, you're with the, with the real deal because they will the medium will statement to you information, you know, because I've watched it. Um, myself, I've seen so many rubbish mediums where they stand there. This is a difference. For instance, you'll get someone say, oh, I've got your a male energy, right? Oh, my God, how many male energies do we know in the world, guys? Do you know what I mean? You think, oh, my God, you're a washout straight away. And they say, is it your dad or is it your granddad or uncle? And, you th and you're like, you're asking questions. So straight away, if they're fishing, you'll know if they're fishing, because, you know, they're just, they just haven't got a clue. So they're looking at the person's facial expressions and waiting for that yes. You know, so really, any medium that's asking more questions than doing confirmation of statements 
is a washout. What you want to be doing is keeping your mouth shut as the recipient and just waiting for them to talk to you. So, for instance, you could say, I've got your dad here. He's saying that he was a taxi driver. He passed with a heart attack. He's saying about, I think he was about 67 years old. He's got grey hair. He's got blue eyes. And he's talking about the name Michelle. Right? Bang. Then you've got someone that could will say to you, well, my dad was a taxi driver. My sister's called Michelle. He was 67 when he died. Yes, he did have grey hair. Yes, he did have blue eyes. And do you know what I mean? And so what, you, what you're doing is what I always tell my people who are sitting in front of me is, is basically you don't tell me anything. All I want you to do is answer yes, no, or you don't understand or just confirm something for me. So, for instance, if I've got a connection with their mum and their mum says, oh, say hello to Maureen. And I'll say, oh, she's saying hello to Maureen. Who's Maureen? And they'll say, oh, that's her sister. I'll go, right, fine. I just know that she's saying Maureen, but I couldn't work out who it was. Or I'll send it back and say to the woman, who's Maureen? And if she says, oh, it's my sister, I'll say, oh, right, okay. So you'll see me go back and get the evidence and come back again. So the, so if you are answering and talking more than the medium, get up and walk out. Right? They should not be asking you questions. They should be telling you what to expect. They should be telling you how they work. Cause there's two ways of working as a medium. Uh, I'm a psychic medium, which means that I can connect with people's energies in front of me and know about their past, present and future. And I can also. And so that source is basically the person sitting in front of you. So that's working as a psychic. You know, you can see their future, their past, what's going on around them, health, wealth, family, success, whatever you want. And then a medium is someone that then gets the information from a different source, which would be a spirit person or, as I also do, angel realms. And so you're getting this source of information from someone completely different. You're not getting it from the person in front of you. So some people are just psychics. So if you want to know if you're going to meet the man of your dreams or, you, you know, you're going to win the lottery or you're going to get that house or that job you've wanted, then you go to see a psychic. If you want, like, you know, communication with a loved one that's passed over, you see a medium. So, you know, there is a difference, a big difference between the two. However, a psychic medium can do both. They can connect with your loved ones, but they can also give you advice on anything that troubles you from your past, anything to help you in your current situation, and may also, you know, give you information about the future as well. And so really, obviously, word of mouth, you know, anybody can write what they want on their websites, you know, and trust me, I know there's bad apples in every industry, and unfortunately, there are some real rubbish ones out there. And there's quite a few that I know that are just complete frauds and it makes me sick. Um, but basically, there are some very good ones. So, again, you know, it's all word of mouth. Find find someone that's physically been there and said, my God, this is what they told me. You know, try word of mouth recommendation. As I say, if they're charging too much, don't go. You know, I, I was I was I, I was interested in getting a reading. I'm I can't, I'm not going to mention their name, but um, just out of interest, I wondered how much they would charge. And when I phoned up, they were they were they're English but living in in the states. And just out of interest, I phoned up one time, and it was three hundred and fifty dollars for twenty minutes. That is absolutely disgusting. And I I actually said, Are you joking me? Are you for real? That is absolutely disgraceful. I said, you're the sort of people that give us a bad name of ripping people off. Absolutely disgusting. And I can't understand why people do that, why they exploit it. 
And, you know, they say, oh, it's because I've got a book or I've been on television. Who cares what you've done? You know, you're here to help people. Pay your bills, but don't, like, you know, take the mickey. Don't exploit these people. So, unfortunately, you do get them. You know, so just if it's a reasonable price and, again, gut instinct. If you even look at the person, that you know, it's a very intimate thing. And we've got a lot of responsibility as mediums, you know, people listen to every single word we say and so you've got to get it right you've got to get it right and if you get it wrong you've got to admit you've got it wrong you've misinterpreted the information and so these people will listen to the words that you tell them and hold that you know they really do and if you say oh you're going to get a job in six months time believe me they'll remember that and so the horrors I've heard mediums tell people, like, oh, your husband's going to die in six months' time, and God knows what. We don't tell anybody anybody's going to die. What we do do, though, is if you've got someone who's, like, terminally ill, um, then I will say you do know that you're, for instance, say if I knew that their dad was dying, I would say you are, you are aware that, you know, your dad's really poorly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know that, you know, I don't think he's going to get any better. There's ways of saying it as well and delivering it. And so they go, yeah, that's right. And I say, right, okay, darling. And then you obviously take them through, um, you know, how to prepare for it. And so the bereavement counselling, sorry, the bereavement training I had, that works brilliantly with it because we've got, we're going to deal with the most rawest times of people's lives and so by basically taking them through how they're going to feel and the angels that will be around to help that person when they go over and what's going to happen to the person after they go over, how they get to heaven. So they've shown me all that, all my guides. And that, that helps, you know, but we never, ever give you bad news. We'll give you warnings. For instance, this lad that came in for reading and I said, you're going skiing, aren't you, next month? And he goes, yeah, I am. And I said, don't go down the black one drunk. I said, don't do it to yourself. And he did, and he broke his thigh bone. So he came back, and he actually messaged me and said, why didn't I listen to you? And I said, because you're an idiot. <laughs> he actually went down the black run, drunk, and broke his femur bone and was stuck out there for a month or however long it was. You know, so things like that, we do, you know, we can give you cautionary things, but anybody that tells you bad stuff, again, get up and walk out, because that's not what we're there for. We're not there to deliver gloom and doom. And that's just bad energy. We're not told that sort of stuff. Why would we? We work in the light. We work here to help people. So nobody's going to give you bad news, you know. Um, so if you get someone like that that, look, that feels like they're negative, again, don't be scared to say, do you know what, this isn't working, and get up and get out. Because there's so many people that I say, why didn't you get up? Why didn't you say, you not, you haven't got me, you're guessing everything. And they said, oh, I was too embarrassed. So don't be embarrassed. It's like if you go into a shop, and you want to buy a camera and it's all broken and it's rubbish, you don't walk out and pay the money. You say, well, this is broken. It doesn't work. So do the same with a medium. If it's, if they, you know, if they're fishing or they're asking questions and they're just talking general rubbish, it's easy. I could do it right now. I could say, you know, you know when you're, you know when you're with someone that is generalizing because I could say now, wow, you've been through really tough times last year, but you pulled it through because you stuck on in there. You've had a few work changes. And I know there's someone that's got a few health problems. Someone's got a bad back. Every, someone's going to have a bad back in your family. Do you know what I mean? That sort of rubbish, just jog on and don't even waste time on it, you know, because it's just generalizing. 
let me let me back you up here, sir, because you said something, and this is we only got two hours here, so I've got to get all the information I can get out of you because this is a very good interview. Um, <laughs> you you had mentioned that upon death you were mentioning angels and things like that, and we've had scientists. Uh, PhDs or what they call scientists have come out here and told us basically, you know, death is a bunch of dibbly squat. Once you die, there's nothing and everybody's wrong about it. Religion's wrong. Uh, everybody's wrong about death because when you die, there's nothing left after you die. You're just, you cease to exist. And to me, that is a way of just saying, well, your life has no meaning because you just, you wake up, you breed, you work, you die, and that's the end of life. So, you have experienced people coming back to you after death, and you said that you know the angels come down and all that stuff. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Explain to us in the best way you can, and, and I promise you, you have an hour and ten minutes to do this if you, if you need it. Explain to us what death is. When somebody passes away, based on your experience, what is death? Because that is the number one question everybody's got on their mind. Of course, Al. But before, what, what I will say to you, though, just before I start, in case I forget... For those people that say death is the end, I don't know if you've ever heard of Eben Alexander. He's from I have, I have not. I have not. He's, he's, he was basically a neurosurgeon, top of his field from the States, and he was one of those people. He basically said, it's absolute rubbish. When you're dead, you're dead. There's no heaven. Spiritual stuff's rubbish. He was a Christian as well totally believed in a heaven but wouldn't obviously acknowledge that there was you know this life after death and that they could commune with the dead and god knows what he basically said once you're dead that's the end of it forget it okay what happened was with even alexander look him up on youtube or just put his name in and he was as i say he was massive in or neurosurgery top of his field and what happened was he ended up getting a mystery virus and it was one of these ones that was going to kill him it was attacking his brain um, I could get some of the, the facts wrong here, but basically this is the story. He then goes into a coma and he's brain dead, right? And after a while, the doctor said, look, he's brain dead. He's not going to make it. You're going to have to make a decision to switch him off because there's nothing more we can do. This virus has basically wiped him out and he's basically clinically dead. So, you know, you're going to have to, like, make a big, brave decision here. And so the wife kept saying, no, 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 I'm not having it. There's no way. I'm not turning it off. So then what happened was it got to a stage where they literally said, look, he's brain dead. You need to look at this. So, so they were thinking of turning him off. The following day, he woke up and they were just completely amazed because there's no way on this earth he should have woken up from it, completely lucid. And the first words out of his mouth was, I've just been to heaven. And he knew that because he was brain dead, he could not fire anything off that would give him dreams or halluc you know, hallucin I can't even think of it, hallucinations. He basically went up there and even saw his um, sister, who he didn't even know he had, that he later found out had died and gone to heaven. He now, he's written two books. The first one is Proof of Heaven. And now he goes around the States and all around the world talking about his experiences of heaven so for all those people especially like the neurosurgeons and all the scientists that say the end is the end they need to listen to Eben Alexander because at the end of the day he was one of those people and you'll find that a lot of the angel realms and the spirit world now are reaching creditable people professional people and showing them heaven so that they can then say well what do you think of this I'm a neurosurgeon I said that once you're dead you're dead but now I'm telling you there is a heaven 
because he went and saw it and he knew he couldn't see it because he was comatose and brain dead. So things like that are happening now. They're reaching these credible people that can say, do you know what? I thought it was rubbish, but now I know that there's a heaven. So just wanted to put that out there um, just to answer that in respect to scientists. But basically... Um, again, when I was starting out full time, because I've been doing reading since I was 21, um, and I basically, when I went full time, I said, right, at the end of the day, you want me to do this, I need to be credible. I need to go out there and tell everybody how it is. So they give me these lessons, and sometimes I can be out for two hours while they're giving me information. And so basically what happens with death is, um, with traumatic death, I asked about traumatic death because obviously I get a lot of um, suicide victims and murder victims come through and obviously babies that pass and that's a lot of trauma there. And I've noticed that when uh, murder victims come or suicide victims come, they show me their passing as if we're both watching it. So I then said to Julianas, what's this about? I said, how comes I'm watching it? And he said, because we take the soul before the trauma hits the body. So basically, I know, do you know when obviously parents and, and family members, they cannot get it out of their heads. My God, did they suffer? You know, people are murdered or tortured and that kind of thing. Basically, the soul is taken out of that physical body before the experience takes place. And that's relevant for what I'll say in a minute. Um, so that's traumatic deaths, normal passings or illnesses. Basically, what happens is, is that the physical body is dying. That's absolutely fine. I've also, again, digressing a bit, but I actually remember doing a demonstration once in front of a huge audience. And this woman started talking to me, but she was talking in the present. And I thought, this is a bit weird. And I kept saying, how did you, how did you pass? How did you go over? She goes, I'm not. I haven't gone over. And I'm like, what the hell? So I said, well, what do you mean? She goes, I'm still alive. I'm like, oh, my God. And she had dementia. And she basically told me, her, her daughter and her two granddaughters were in the audience, and she said, last Wednesday, you came in, because you don't come Saturdays anymore, because you're busy, and you spoke to my carer outside in the corridor, I'll call him Bruno, I think it's something like Bruno, and Bruno said, I'm really worried, because I've been promoted, and I'm going to be moving away, so I won't be looking after your mum anymore. Right. And so when I told this to the family, they just couldn't believe it. And they basically said, oh, my God, how do you know? That? I said, because your mum's telling me. And then I also then had a boy who someone tried to murder who was in a coma. And he came through alive, spoke to his girlfriend in the audience and said, can you tell Nan or grandma to turn that rubbish music off? Because she keeps playing classical every time she comes in on Thursdays. Right. And so I've and so I then asked about that as well, which links in with what happens before death. So if you've got an illness or you're passing and you can't communicate or you've got like severe dementia or Alzheimer's, what happens is your soul basically goes up to the spirit world and you see all your people there or they come down and visit you. You know, you hear these stories where people with um, that are dying, they say, oh, there's mum there or there's Bert over there. Right. It's because their soul is wandering around waiting for the body to die. You know, it's this bored. It wants to go up and party. So so all this evidence. So I've got all of this evidence to know. And that's just two I can think of at the moment. There's hundreds of them when they've come back and given such amazing evidence to show that they are totally aware 
of what's happened. Also, the physical passing, they kind of liken it to... I know you're not going to understand this, boys. I don't either because I'm not a mum. But they liken it to, like, childbirth, where you go through all that agony and pain and then you suddenly forget it because you've got this beautiful baby. So they go through perhaps, you know, that last bit of pain. But remember, the soul isn't in the body. It's already leaving it. So what by the time they get up there, it's a very distant memory of the passing. Also, during the passing, um, I remember... Because I, I don't I don't Google anything. I don't read anything. I've learned all of the angels from them coming to me. And so I remember that I had to go and speak to someone. They were on their deathbed. And the, and the lady said, look, can you just come and tell them what's going to happen? And as I sat there, there was this beautiful presence in the room, smell of roses and all sorts of beautiful flowers, jasmine. And I looked around and this figure was about six, seven foot tall seven foot tall and he said I'm Azrael tell her Azrael is here and I thought who the hell was Azrael I've never heard of it in my life so I googled the name I do google the names when I hear them because I haven't got a bloody clue who they are and um, basically Azrael um, is the angel that resides with the family and with the person just before they're about to pass they bring that sense of peace to them just as they're going over. And the only reason I know it's true is because he told me his name and I saw him standing in the corner of the room just before this woman's about to die. So I knew that. So I then I then knew that my mum was going to pass last year because there's a photograph, I think I've put it on my Facebook and Twitter, where the whole room is full of a blue-white mist. And I thought, oh, my God, my mum's going to die. And she'd only broken her hip. And I knew Azrael was in the room and she died like a couple of months later. She went downhill from there and she didn't have any life-threatening problems. Um, and so I know that the angels look after and support the family or Archangel Azrael does and the person. They then pass and what happens then is there's just a tiny little bit of blackness um, that I've, it literally is like, do you know as you just drop off to sleep? It's that kind of feeling, drop off to sleep. And then suddenly... What happens is you then find yourself laying on a plinth. That's interesting because when I went over to, where was it, um, Mexico, I was in Riviera Maya and I went to Chichen Itza and they, would do, and they showed me these plinths and this spirit house and I thought, oh my good God, because all the years before when they showed me what happens to our soul, these spirit houses were everywhere in this plane that you wake up in, right? And and then I saw these like a few years a few years ago in Mexico and I thought that's exactly what I've seen. And what happens is you're laid out on a plinth in these kind of like because what you've got to remember is everything is energy and light up there. And so really they have to show me images so I can explain it to a human mind. Does that make sense? If I just talk talked about light and energy you go, well, what are you talking about? So they give me images that help us understand the process because we haven't got a physical body. There's not physical buildings there, but they kind of give us a mental mind map, if that makes sense. Um, so it helps me explain it to the masses, to humankind. So you're basically laid out on this plinth and I saw all of these blue lights coming in around the body um, or the soul, if you like. 
And I said, what are the blue lights? And they said, they're basically the souls of the people that are already past that connect with the person. So it'll be your family and friends are around you. So um, you're still not aware of that because you're like in a sleep state. Then what happens is, is that there's Archangel Jeremiah. I only know that because he introduced himself once. I had to Google his name, so I didn't even know who he was. And um, he said, I then deal with the review of your life. And what he does is, is you then have to face your karma. And I'm getting a bit deep here, but you wanted, you wanted the answer, and it's a long one. So basically what happens is, you are then taken to deal with your karma. So if you, so just say if you're a murderer, serial murderer, you're taken to a chamber in the Crystal Palace, which is a whole new ball game, um, which is basically an area which is the the centre of heaven, if you like, and you're taken to a pool, and in that pool there are cherubim on the wall, and I wondered why there were cherubim on the walls because I didn't have a clue, and um, my guide Juliana said, right, just Google it. He said, he doesn't say Google it. He goes, use that, use that um, box with many buttons. That's what he calls it. And like, he goes, look up cherubim. I'm like, okay, then. So like, you go in the pool, and what happens is there's these, like, sprite things, these intelligent things that go around your soul and basically reflect the badness that you've done on other people, on yourself. So you will sit and reside in every action and behavior you've done towards someone else and so they showed me for instance Hitler and I could, and they showed me that showed me the image of his face because I said you know can they reincarnate can these bad people come back blah 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 and so they showed me him walking into the pole it boiling and bubbling up and then him just dissipating into this black filth because that's all he was, if that makes sense. So he was basically bathing in what he'd created on the earth plane. So that's what happens to the baddies. However, the goodies, we basically have our life review. Um, we've already planned what we wanted to do before we came down. So we go through our, print, our blueprint to say, did you get this done? Did you enjoy the experience? Because reincarnation, 100%, I know it is, because I've been to the places where I've, I've had previous lives before, including Rome. Um, and basically, yes, I've done all that. I've done all that. Right, okay, is there anything that you want to talk about? Do you want anything you want to go over? No, I'm fine. Right, right, that's fine. So then what happens is the blue blobs turn into images that you recognize, and then they take the soul over once you've got over the transition of going up to the spirit world and then take the soul to what I call the reality or they, they call the reality layer and the reality layer is the bit I love the best because again it's been evidenced year after year after year hundreds and hundreds of readings thousands of readings I've done where basically for instance one that's just come to my mind I said there's a man here called Del he wants to talk to his wife and he's standing on a yacht and he's bloody chuffed that he's back on his yacht and I think he said the name of his yacht. And she put her hand up. She goes, my husband's Dale. We passed six months ago. And she goes, my God, getting him off that yacht was like trying to pull candy from a baby. It wasn't going to happen. You know, he adored his yacht. So what he was trying to say to her in his reality layer, he'd created a reality of him yachting. And so I thought, wow, this is interesting. So then I go back into meditation. So tell me more about the reality layer. So they took me up there and I sat with my nan. Um my grandma and I sat in the lounge with her and she goes come with me I'll show you and what they've created my family have created like um, a small little hamlet of houses 
with all of my family and like friends there. And at the back, there's the big river and the sea there because all my family love water because obviously they're all spiritual. And that's a natural conduit for spiritual energy. Woodland, boats, a beach, and all the dogs are there, all the pets are there that you've lost. And they said, this is the reality we've created. And my nan said, but if you go across there, that family have created a different reality. So just say if you love rock climbing, then you could rock climb all day if you want to. So if you, the, the best way of trying to describe it is in the reality layer, it's like 24-7 dreaming. If you ever had a dream where it's so real that you almost feel and taste everything and you wake up and you're still emotionally connected to that dream because it was so real, you know those kind of dreams? Yep, this there, is, yeah, this is exactly what it's like up there. Whatever thought you create or whatever reality you want to create, you can. And I'm not trying to give a fairy tale ending here because at the end of the day, I'm very down to earth. I think that's why I've managed to maintain such beautiful support from the public, you know, because I'm down to earth. I don't think everything's fluffy and nice. I don't give a fairy tale ending to make people feel better after they die. At the end of the day, this is what I've been shown, and they prove it time and time again to me, you know. And it's like... For instance, I, I, I had a road accident back in 2012, um, which I knew was going to happen. And um, my dad come and visited me from the spirit world. I was on holiday in Turkey. My friends had taken me there. I basically ended up with a brain trauma injury and I was in bed for three years, totally incapacitated. And I thought, what the hell? Why, am, why is this happening? Um, and he basically said, look, we need to change your life. We need to change your path. We need to teach you this. We need to show you of how to bring yourself back from darkness to light. That is exactly what you're going to be doing. You're going to be working on a deeper level than you've ever done in your life. But it's not going to happen till 2018. And then 2019, you're going to have everything you've ever wanted. I'm like, oh, my God, I've got to wait all that time. And I went through the darkest time of my life. I lost my home. My career obviously went downhill. My writing stopped because I literally was in bed, incapacitated for three years, couldn't get out of bed, was in excruciating pain. I had ME and fibromyalgia and I was wheelchair bound and it was the worst hellish time of my life where I wanted to die every single day. I lost my faith. I lost my belief system. I lost everything to do with them. I hated them for the situation they put me in. And then when they thought it was right, they then started their miracles and basically... My nan came down, walked through the hallway and said, you haven't been up to see me lately. And I just went, excuse my French, F off. I don't want to know. I'm not seeing you. This is me making it up. You're all rubbish as you wouldn't have given me this road accident, blah, 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 blah. And she goes, just shut up and go on Facebook. And I'm like, go on Facebook. What the hell sort of message is that from heavenly realms? So anyway, she then walked through the wall and disappeared off. And I thought, well, do you know what? My nan's come all the way from heaven. I might as well go on Facebook. And I went on Facebook, and the first thing that was on there was a woman crying because she'd taken this drug that got her out of bed with ME and fibromyalgia after 10 years. And I never, ever would have pursued that. But because my nan had said to me, go on Facebook, and that was the first thing I saw, I phoned the clinic up, started taking the drug, and I got out of bed within two weeks and was walking. And so um, um, that's the book I'm writing at the moment, actually. Emmy, myself and I, Die of a Psychic. It should be out this year, which which basically I'd lost my faith. I'd lost my home. I'd lost, I had the shirt on my back 
and two dogs. And now I'm in the, the, the house of my dreams. I'm two minutes from the beach. I'm looking at the moment over a very dark um, nature reserve with lakes and forests. I've met the most fantastic person that I never thought I would meet. I'm slowly getting better and getting back to a normal life. I've got loads of writing work. I'm, I'm back on top. I've never been so happy in all my life because I was taken to hell and back and I was shown everything that a soul goes through down here and how to help people get from that darkness to the light. So my my work has shifted from... It's, it was predominantly to prove life after death, but now it's predominantly to help people get through their darkest experiences down here, but also to explain on a deeper level what happens to the soul, which is what I'm doing now with you, because that's what they've showed me over the last few years while I was recuperating from the road accident. They've shown me the most deepest, most amazing things. And one of them obviously was what happens to the soul how it gets there. And this is how I've got to understand the angels a lot more because when I've been up to heaven and, you know, I walk through and then this massive presence will stand in front of me. I go, who are you? And he goes, I'm Raguel. I'm like, never heard of you, mate. Never heard of you. And so God bless Google because then I've typed the name in and then I go, oh my God. And it says Archangel of Balance and Harmony. I'm like, what the hell? So, you know, I, I can't, dream these names up and make them up and say oh yeah you've got Archangel Burke behind you they literally were giving me their names and I'm thinking right remember that remember that so you can google it and then basically google it and it's there so this angel then takes me to another layer I call it the crystal palace because there's so much crystal glinting about in the center of heaven so you've got the reality layer where you can do whatever you want if you smoke my mum smoking her face off up there she loved her cigarettes and her alcohol she's up there and so I smell cigarette smoke down here and cider and god knows what and she's up there having an absolute ball absolutely loving it up there with my dad loving it because I've been up there and seen her and she's come down here and the whole place smells of cigarette smoke when she comes in and I hate it. But so I know that from a personal thing. So I've then wandered out the reality layer, met with this Archangel Raguel, who I'd never heard of in my life, and he said, come with me. Then he takes me to another layer. Um, one was obviously, I told you, the cherubim chamber. And I said, ah, cherubim. I said, I forgot to Google that. And I'd come out in the meditation, Google cherubim, and oh my goodness, in the Old Testament, cherubim were the right hands of God. And when I was in there watching, you know, I told you about Hitler just a minute ago. When I was in there watching the cherubim, right, they're cute little fat things, aren't they, that fly with little wings. Their heads turned into ferocious lions as they looked into this pool of boiling filth. And I thought, oh my God, why have cherubs got lion heads and oxen heads? They're just like really ugly like devilish faces and I thought oh my god I'm having a nightmare and when I googled the old testament cherubims basically it says about the right hand of God shall be judged they they judge they're the right hand of God and they shall judge thee in the pool of truth with the face of oxen or lions it's all written in the old testament and I've seen it I don't know anything about the old testament I couldn't believe it. So that's like the pool of the, the pool of divine truth, I call it. Or so basically, you're not judged by God. You're not judged by anything. You're basically judged by the actions you've done. So what you sit in in that pool is what you what you've created in the on the earth plane. You know that's why all these mediums got just digressing a bit that are like fakes and frauds. My God, they're going to face such wrath up there. 
Do you know what I mean? And so I'd be so scared if I was them to go up there after doing what they do down here. So I'm very aware of how I treat people, very aware of who I am as a person, because I know that I will face my behavior and all of my actions when I go up there. So it kind of goes along through with the Buddhism thing, you know. Um, so all of these different religions, even though they're all man-made down here and all the rules are set up for all these religions, when you actually look at it, the big picture, when you go up there, it's all exactly the same, just different names and words used. You know, because I'm not being funny, I have all religions come to me, Jewish, Muslim, I've done readings over in Turkey for Muslim people, and all of them come to you. And basically, when you go up there, it's just love that connects you to the spirit world, and this massive um, frequency of angel communication and spirit communication, and then you realise that religion, you know, doesn't matter up there. Um, so he then basically, sorry, I digress, I go past the pool of trees and he takes me into the halls of learning. Right. So I've walked in there. I said, what am I doing here? And he said, just be quiet and just let me take you through. It's a big checkered room. And in the middle of this huge hall was a statue of what they called the Adam and the Eve. Right. So I looked along and there was all these plaques of names and one of them and you're going to tell me off now right you're so going to tell me off one of them was Harold Truman and I didn't know who that was at the time so I'm walking along it's all these different names all these different names written on these plaques in this huge hall right walk past the Adam and the Eve statue there's massive doors go through these doors and there's a man sitting by a table and he says, oh, come here, come here. So I walk up to him and he says, I'm Metatron. I think I haven't got a clue who that is. Don't know who you are. And so he says, sit down. And he goes, and you need to sign this. And it was a huge gold leaf book. And he turned it around. And I thought, oh, my God. And I honestly thought at the time, oh, my God, this is the devil's work, right? I'm signing my soul away. And he goes, don't be ridiculous. He'd obviously heard what my consciousness said. He said, don't be so ridiculous. Sign the book. And I'd noticed on the front of it had the word Akashic, which I'd never heard of either. So I signed in this book and it came out in gold, but it was in symbols. And I didn't have a clue what I was writing. I didn't recognize what I was writing at all. And he said, welcome to the records of life. And I'm like, don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, I spoke to my friend, funny enough, the one I told you about earlier that owns um, the website, spiritguides.co.uk. And he goes, oh, my goodness. He goes, Metatron. He goes, you know that Metatron is a scribe of God, don't you? I went, no. And he said, what was written on the book? I said, Acacia. And he went, you signed the Acacia records. He goes, was it Aramaic? I said, I don't even know what Aramaic means. He's like, oh, why have they given you all of this gift when you don't know anything? And I said, but that's good because I can honestly sit in front of anybody in this world and say I haven't read anything. Everything I've been told has come from up above through meditation dream state because I have not read or researched anything ever in my life. And so he was so excited because I basically signed the, the Book of Souls in Aramaic. And it's been the Kashuk records basically record all souls that have, um, that, have, that have passed through that have had some prominent type of um, presence on the earth plane. And as I saw, Google told him now and obviously he was one of your presidents, but he was actually on one of these plaques. 
So I don't know what he actually did or if he was a spiritual person. I really don't know. But he was written on one of the plaques as someone who significantly changed man or humankind um, in a positive way. And so basically I can now go to this well, which is made of this fluorescent water, um, and there's these angels there called the Seraphim, and I didn't know who they were until I, they told me their name, and I Googled that as well. And they look after this, and it's basically people will know it's a fountain of life or the fountain of youth, um, and it's the Akashic Pole. And they said to me, if you place your finger in these waters, don't abuse it, but you can actually look up any soul and find out what you want to know about that soul. And what I did was, which was rather shallow, so I thought, oh, I'll look up my best mate. So I wake, put my finger in there, thought of my best friend at the time, see if there's anything that would come up for the future. And all I could see was a massive tear between my image and hers, just as an experiment. I should have like really gone deep and perhaps looked up Jesus, but I didn't. And um, basically, I thought that can't be right. We never ever, we were like soulmates. We're never ever going to break up. And we did four years later, and I've never spoken to her again since. She really did hurt me. And um, basically, it was true. And so I've done it once more as well to see where my uncle was after he passed um, and used that well. But I don't abuse it. Um, and I've never seen anything that's important enough for me to go back and delve into that well yet. So that's a very deep answer to what you're saying. But I can categorically tell you that every layer they've taken me to, they've taken me to the layer where the guides are. And I said, why have you taken me here? And they said, because you will be telling people about reincarnation and past lives. We are showing you the source of that. So what happens is there is, is you basically go into this layer as a soul group. So you've got a soul group um, that you connect with. So some of those will be family members. Some of them will be perhaps a friend that you meet. And you think, my God, I feel like I've known you for years. You've only known him five minutes. That's normally a soul cluster member. Um, and your soul cluster is a group of souls that stick together through each lifetime. You go into this layer and you basically agree with your soul guide, mine's obviously being Julianus, what experiences you want. So really, earth life is like a holiday. So he'll say, right, what do you want to experience next time around? Who do you want to be? And this is backed up a lot, actually, in the media, because um, a lot of children claim, um, you know, they've had previous lives. And there was one massive one in the newspapers. I don't know if it reached over there where a little boy. Oh, no, he was from the States. It was a boy from the States who kept saying he came from a place in Ireland. And he kept saying to his mummy, you're not my mummy. He was only four. You're not my mummy. You're not my mummy. My mummy and daddy are over in a place called Ireland. He was four years old. And he said, we live next to um, a beach where planes land. And he told him their brothers and sisters' names and um, his mum and dad's names. And in the end, they'd gone to, like, you know, psychiatrists who really were traumatised. They decided to take him to Ireland. And literally, they found this family and this little boy run up to them was cold, like, you know, cuddling them. And they'd lost a little boy um, four years before. And he basically went up to them and knew them, this little boy from the States. And he'd gone over to Ireland. And... I asked about that and they said, oh, that <laughs> Julianus has got a sense of humor. He said, oh, that was a blip in the admin. He shouldn't have come down that quick. So that created problems. I said, well, how long do we wait then before we come back down? And he said, do you know your great, great, great grandfather? I said, no. He goes, exactly. So normally it's three centuries or three generations past before you come back down so that you haven't got any human connection. And he said, and what you do is, is you go in, 
speak to your guide, decide who's going to play what role. And again, this was backed up because the following day after I had this meditation, I had an email from someone that said to me, my four-year-old boy is freaking me out because he said to me today, mummy, I was your mummy in a past life, so don't worry if you make mistakes because I did when I was your mummy. And she said, what the hell was he talking about? And I went, oh, I know, because I had a meditation yesterday about this. And so what we do is we choose what roles, we choose what experiences we want, because we get a bit bored. I'm not going to lie. When we go up to heaven, we get a bit bored um, because everything is perfect. We can create what we want. There is no trauma. There's no human belief system or behavior. There's no human emotion that brings you down. You're basically there in a complete utopia. And so we want a, a human experience again. We want to come down. And the older soul we get, the more experiences we want, the harder our lives are down here. And so you'll see like the armed robber win the lottery and you think, why? Because he's a young soul. A lot of the musicians of this, um, you know, all the, like the musicians, they die young because they're young souls. All they want is fame and money. That's all they live and strive for. So they're young souls. You then get the people that will give up their lives to run a care home for disabled people. They're the older souls. And so the more advanced you get as a soul group, the harder your experiences are down here because you want them to be because everything's so perfect up there. That's how I see it. And so, my God, I did. I must be an old soul because I've picked a real rough one this time. Um, but it helps people to understand this because when I have anything happen to me now, I look at the significance of it and think, do you know what? This tiny human experience that's happening right now is a speck of salt in a whole ocean. Because when you understand eternal life and you understand how old your soul is going to be, and how old it's already been, you realize that that tiny little experience that you think is going to break you, really it's not. Because all you've done is ask for an experience to go through and then you'll go up there and forget about it once you get up there. And the only thing you'll remember is your love connection with the people down here and experience visitation to see them, you know? So I find, I used to be such a drama queen. Oh, my God, especially when I was in the police. Oh, such a drama queen. But quite let, me, let me ask you a quick question, Nikki, because we only got yeah. 30 minutes, and you dwelled on some stuff. But being that this is a, a, a ghost hunting show, and they call me the Kentucky Ghost Hunter, everybody's wanting to know exactly what spirits are. We, we have uh, shadow figures and all that good stuff. I'm sure that you guys heard about all that in the UK. I'm sure we all do the same thing here that you do oh, there. Yeah. Yeah. But what are those? If we're if we're up in heaven and we're coming down, experience our, and uh, life after yeah. death are, are, is ghost people. I mean, time to, we got thirty yeah. minutes, so just you know, like oh, I said, explain. You have to get me on again because I talk for England, literally. <laughs> yeah, I got I got to get you back on here because that's great stuff. But uh, being that we're a ghost hunting show, kind of explain to us what ghosts are and, and you know the shadow figures and all that stuff. Next time we'll do nothing but paranormal investigations and ghost hunts because I've got some amazing stories for you because I've been doing ghost hunting for like 25 years. And so um, how I've, again, I always ask about stuff so that I know that I'm clear with it. As far as I'm concerned, with, with investigations, there are two types of, of, of phenomena you're going to encounter. There's the ghost and there's, and there's a, a live spirit, basically. So... For instance, a ghost to me is I see five five layers of manifestation. So orb is the first stage of manifestation. You've then got trailing lights and rods that we see, which is the second stage. Third stage is then you get your ectoplasmic mist. 
You then get your figure, your, your like your image, which is like the grey ladies, no facial features, but then you get the shape of the human or the animal, whatever it is. And then you get the fifth stage, which is solid as you like spirit person. They're the manifestations of a live spirit person that is coming visitation from heaven to go to that space. So, for instance, I have no doubt that when I go up, I love where I live. It's by the coast. It's beautiful here. So I've got no doubt that now and then I'll pop down and perhaps walk along the beach because that's what I love doing, okay? So as a, so I'm a live spirit interactive person that if anybody said to me, hello, what's your name? I'd go, oh, hello, I'm Nikki. And I'd interact and create phenomena. So if they said, can you tap this, I'd tap it. If they said, can you touch, you know, raise the EVP in the room, I could do it. So I'm a live spirit person that's come in visitation down here and can communicate and create phenomena with whoever's asking me. So that's the spirit person. The ghost basically is the echo that I might leave behind, like a tape recording of me walking up and down the beach, but I'm not physically there. I've just left an echo in the energy. Does that make sense? Oh, so it for makes instance, sense. You know, I've seen Roman soldiers march through um, an abbey in Netley in, near Southampton, and I'm like, my God, what are they? You know, are they interactive? So when I've actually tried to blend with them and say, "Hello, what's your name?" They've got absolutely no clue because I've realised it's just an echo of history replaying. And as it replays over time and as it replays through the ether, it gets duller and duller and duller. So that's where you get in your half transparent things. And you'll notice that they'll do the same thing time and time again. So I investigated a pub once um, in Essex near London and they have the blue lady there. And so I remember, because on my investigations, I'm, I'm a stickler. I hate people having torches. As far as I'm concerned, if you, if you have a torch in your face, that means you're losing your night vision. And you cannot categorically say you've seen anything for at least 20 minutes, because that's how long it takes for your eyes to get back adjusted to darkness, right? So I, I absolutely ban them. You can only have like ultraviolet light or lights that are not going to flash your eyes and take you out of night vision. And I thought when I looked, at, I was out in the garden, where she haunts the lake and I was out in the garden and I looked up and I saw this blue figure and I thought oh my god someone's got a torch on I'm gonna go and kill him right and then I saw this figure go through a wall but everybody else saw it as well and so we quickly run up there but then we saw it replay again about an hour later so basically that was just her echo going back and forth and we realized that back in history it was one of Henry VIII's King Henry VIII's um, hunting lodges and she was basically the echo was her walking up and down waiting for her lover to come back who used to be one of the um hunt, you know one of the hunting party with Henry VIII so that's an echo it's just like a replay so that's a ghost you're not going to get anything from that apart from photographic evidence you know, because all they're going to do is walk back and forth. You're not going to get anything from them. However, this is interesting because that particular pub, that particular bar, there's um, she also comes in visitation. So not only have we got echoes of her as a ghost, she also physically interacts. So she'll throw glasses, you know, and I was in there and said to her, well, go on then, do it. And she threw and smashed a glass across the room and then all the optics started rattling in the behind the bar. And I'm like, this is brilliant. And I knew it was her because I recognized her face in the very faint face that was shown in the ghost. Does that does that is that does that make have I explained it well enough? Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. 
Do you know what I mean? So a spirit to me, a spirit person is, right, if you're here, tap. If you're here, you know, light up my torch. If you're here, work with this, you know, on the spirit board. Work on the communication board, you know. Work through our white noise machine, whatever it is. Whereas if it's a ghost, you're not going to get anything apart from, as I say, the photographic evidence, which I've got some lovely bits of photographic evidence of ghosts, but they are never going to communicate with you. They're just a replay of what they've done all their life. You know, I've, I've seen a caretaker whistling, rattling keys go through an old manor house. And then I'm like, hi, hello. And I, and I know it's not a spirit person because straight away I'll start getting visions and thoughts and feelings of who, who they are and what their history is and who they are. But when you can't blend with them, you know they're a ghost. It's just a replay of something old. And that bloke, possibly, that man, is most up in the heaven, not, not even caring about going back to the man house. But some of them do come back. You know, and I don't, on my um, YouTube, the Birdbrook Ghost Hunt, it's well worth a look, guys, if you've not seen it. As I say, it's on my Nikki Allen YouTube channel, right? We turned up. And again, this is quite an interesting thing that I still really haven't got the answer to. I was at a pub in the north of Essex and I didn't realise it was in a place called Housted. Have you ever heard of the Witchfinder General? I don't think I have. Have you, Kevin? No, I haven't. Basically, the witch inquisitions of the 1600s um, in England, he, he went all over the place. The witch hunter general basically went around hunting witches and he was responsible for killing over 300 people, um, accusing them of being a witch. What we didn't realise is, is that the pub we were at, behind it was the dumping ground for the witches. And the witch hunter general, um, Matthew Hopkins, Google it, lived about 100 metres away from this pub. So at 12 o'clock, all the spirit people we were interacting with disappeared. And we thought, oh my God, what's coming? And this thing slashed there was a one skeptic and i said to him look if you're a skeptic i don't want you here mucking it up he said no i'm open-minded he said i just don't believe in it i think it's rubbish my mum just brought me here big rufty tufty ex-soldier and basically he came in on the seance where i found the hot spot for this thing which i didn't know what it was at the time and basically matthew hopkins slashed his back about 40 times to the point where i had puncture wounds and the blood was just dripping you see the video we got it all on video and you even see his back being scratched by an implement, by an invisible hand on it. And he basically, he eventually identified himself as Matthew Hopkins. Never heard of the man until, obviously, our researcher said, oh, my God, Matthew Hopkins was a witch finder general. And what he used to do is slash people's skin. And he used to find scar tissue so that if he slashed it, he didn't bleed. It means you're a witch. So it was just another excuse for him to torture and kill you. He was an absolute madman. So if you were a healer of the village, you'd kill you for being a witch. He was evil, evil, evil. And what I couldn't understand is how he could manage, after everything I've been taught, how could he come in and slash a human's back to pieces? I had to stop it in the end because I couldn't get rid of him. I couldn't, well, I couldn't pass him on. I couldn't get rid of him. I don't know if it's because it was Halloween um, and the vow was thinner. I really don't know. But how could someone so evil manage to manifest... Like 400 years later, was it 500? Yeah, 400 years later, and then be able to slash someone's back, unless it was someone else purporting to be Matthew Hopkins, because we were literally living, we were in the pub right next to where he used to live. And then literally in the graveyard, we all held hands. Again, as a skeptic, I'm thinking, is someone scratching his back? Is it? 
So we all hold in hands, and that's when we literally stood where all the witches were dumped after they'd been tortured and killed. Um, and his back was slashed there, and nobody was near him. We were all holding hands. And so that, to me, is a phenomenon. I keep trying to ask about it, and I can't get any answers. So I don't know how some people manage to come back after, you know, hundreds of years and create malevolence like that thing did. That's I've, I've, I've had two really, really bad spirit um, interactions on ghost hunts, and that was one of them. I'll tell you about the next one another time. But my God, that was the first time in my life. And I'm a very, very strong medium. I don't take no crap off any spirit person at all. And I was, God, I was raging with this spirit person and I could do nothing. And I've got very powerful guides. My granddad is one of my guides. My granddad always comes with me on house clearances and paranormal investigations because he was rock hard. He was an East End man. And he was a brilliant medium, and he's always with me on those. And even he said to me, Nick, give it up. You're not going to win this. So in the end, I just had to do a cleansing ceremony um, with Archangel Michael, um, waited for the floral scent to come in, and that's it. I had to leave it there. And funnily enough, um, someone saw my video, a ghost hunt team up in Essex, and said, oh, we want to go there. Have you got contact number? And it turns out that the back of the building where we did that mysteriously all smashed pieces and fell to the floor. So nobody can go near it anymore, which is interesting. But that was the first time I thought, my God, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I really lost my confidence because that thing, I'm not joking you, his back, his back, it was like slicing butter. It literally dragged this implement through his back. But because we didn't, it ended up going out in the cinema here, but we didn't, you couldn't actually, we didn't film it really close onto his back because we didn't expect it to go out to everybody. Um, it was horror. And then he had a puncture wound that went so deep. You know those really deep puncture wounds you get from a stab, from a stabbing? And after that, I went, that's it, I'm done. We're not doing it anymore. It got so violent, it was ridiculous. Well, let me ask you another question, because paranormal investigators here always report more than one spirit. Well, they don't always, but most of the time you can come up with they've got two or three spirits in one location. Yeah. And I'm not talking about ghosts. I'm talking about actual spirits where they can interact with. Yeah. And uh, some of the people have went in to do cleansing of these places, and like you, they weren't able to do it. And... I guess my question to, to you is, have you ever experienced multiple spirits in one place? And if there is multiple spirits, what are they doing there, Nikki? God knows. I'll be having, I'll be having like a vodka and tonic sitting on a Caribbean beach going diving. What are they thinking? <laughs> well, well, let me ask you this. Are, are they not passing on or – because I, I understand you're saying they go to heaven and they can come back, but only a couple generations. But it, are there instances – based on your experience where people leave the body and they are meant to go somewhere, but they just don't go. Yeah. I've had, I've had a couple of those. I think to be honest with you, I've been on ghost hunts in groups where people have gone, Oh, this spirit is trapped. I think, no, they're not. It's quite, it's, you know, it's not, it's not common, but I have been to houses um, and places where they haven't moved on through guilt or they're scared of being judged when they go up, you know, perhaps they've abused someone or they've killed themselves. A lot of suicide victims tend to get stuck down here. I don't know the dynamics of it, and they've not told me yet. Still, I've asked a few times, but, yes, you do get people down here that are still, like, you know, residing in that residual energy and don't want to go up and won't go up. 
and I think that was one of them. I've I've met one of them as well in Netley Abbey, which I'll t- as I say I'll tell you that story another time, which was one that won't go up and nobody can get him over. I I don't understand what it is. I I, I sometimes think that perhaps they're a young soul or they're so still connected and wanting that human experience that they stay where they are and they just don't want to move. They don't want to leave. Whether they're stuck in the energy, I can't understand how or why it works. As I said to you, you know, I love where I live and I I can imagine that I'll perhaps come in visitation and, you know, pop by by the beach because I'd love doing that every day with the dogs, standing by the ocean Perhaps I might do that. Perhaps, I, you know, and obviously I'll visit people, loved ones down here to let them know I'm about because all my nieces and nephews are all psychic as well. And I'll do that. However, I do not understand these souls that stay in a place for, for century after century. I just don't get it. And I can't understand why. And I keep asking and all I get back is it's their path. It's their path. So perhaps, I don't know, perhaps... You know, they've done so much damage down here that perhaps their last life is to basically stay down here. I've seen purgatory. They've taken me to a space between here and heaven, and that was horrific. I I felt really panicked, and I, I literally came out hyperventilating and sweating. It was really, really bad. And they and I and I said, "What the hell did you just take me to?" And they said, "You need to see it." Because that is where we get the negative energies stay that don't go up or don't go down. And they're the ones that you'll have to deal with from time to time. So they were showing me energies that will not go up or can't go up or don't know how to go up. So the ones that don't know how to go up, I've been able to send over. The ones that have still got a human consciousness, like I went to a place where there was all sorts of stuff being thrown around the flat they bought, you know, things were smashing and things were coming off the wall. And it was a bloke who killed himself next door. And he was scared that he would get judged by God because his, his mum was so religious. And obviously it was like against religion to kill yourself. And like, it took me three times to sit with him to convince him that he wasn't going to get judged by any God. And eventually he went. So there's some that I think are too scared to go, but some just will not go. It's as simple as that. And I, I can't understand it, and, and I can't understand the rhyme or reason, but when I ask questions like that of my lot up there, the lads up there, they basically say, you know, you watch the television, do you, uh, do you not watch it just because you don't understand how it works and how it creates pictures? I say, no. So exactly, just accept the fact that there are spirit people that will stay here and you will not move them on. Move on from it, leave them there. I'm like, right, okay, fair enough. And they said, but you'll know. When you're there, you'll know if you can move them on or not because they will want to speak to you. And just on this side, that's what really gets on my nerves is when I see programs on the television, both in the US and over in the UK, where they basically goad and provoke these spirit people. When they go into these investigations, I think, what are you doing? Like, oh, do you want to kill us? Do you want us to get out? You know, it could be the gardener that just wants to come in and say hello, and you could get some brilliant interaction from that friendly spirit. But straight away, you're getting these jokers saying, oh, it's a demon, or, oh, it's going to kill us, it's going to do this. You just think, no, it's not. And that angers me because there are some spirit people that do need our help, I think, you know. And either they're they're down here because they're scared or they don't know how to go up or perhaps another spirit person is keeping them here. I've had that before. You know, and I just, it really angers me how people goad these spirit people. Oh, you want to kill us? You want to do this? You want to do that? I'm like, how is that helpful in investigation? 
I don't. Well, what, what about shadow figures, works. Nikki? Because I, I, I'm I don't mean to interrupt, but we only got a couple minutes, and I'm really wanting to find your your information on this. Uh, I don't know. Do you guys have shadow figures? I mean, is that what you categorize them yeah. in the UK? To, yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think those are? Right, there's two types of shadow figures. One is a manifestation of uh, half manifestation of a spirit person, right? So even though it's a shadow, I straight away I'll know that it's just a visit. Like I've, I've seen shadows go through my hallway, and I know perhaps it's my granddad, right? So there's that type. However, there is the shadow figure, which basically looks like a group of locusts or loads of flies all all stuck together. And you'll see little bits of like um, energy coming from the blackness. And one of those hit me in the face and the body when I was in Southampton. This is one I was going to tell you about. And basically, as soon as it hit me, um, my spine felt like it's been dragged out of my head. My head felt like it was going to split in half. I was freezing cold. I was thrown to the ground and I felt the most so sick to my stomach. It was ridiculous. And he held me frozen there and I couldn't move for about five minutes until I got the energy to push him away through anger. So dark shadows to me, it depends. You'll know whether it's a dark shadow as in a half manifestation of a spirit person, right? Or if it's a negative entity. And that one was negative. And he, he basically he used to kill nuns. He massacred people and he was a monk, right? And he was a nasty, nasty piece of you know what. And that's the, there's two types of black shadow. There's the one that is a negative entity, and then there's the one that is half manifestation. You'll know the difference because you'll feel the energy around it, or there'll be a stench, or it'll be freezing cold, and your gut will say, get out now, and you'll know the difference between the shadow energies. Um, I've had a couple of instances where the dark shadows haven't felt human, um, and I didn't like it, and I got out because I was puking my guts up, and I couldn't go back in there. So I know that my path isn't to deal with that type of energy. I work in the light, and perhaps I walk into, like, you know, that negative monk, but when it comes to things that people talk of, like demons and animal energy and elementals, I just I can't stomach them. So perhaps it's not my path to actually be faced with them, if that makes sense. There's people have got um, a, a deeper understanding of that. There are ghost hunters out there that that's what their game is. And they face a lot of the dark shadow entities. Is that what you're talking about? The negative ones? Well, yeah, I'm talking about the negatives. But a lot of these people, and, I, and I'm sure it sounds like the paranormal world in UK and here is the same thing. We've got a lot of people here that will say they're you know, demonologists and they're dealing with demons and all this. And. Yeah. You know, when it comes right down to it, they're they're not. I don't think you can take. You know, I may be totally mistaken, but I think you're dealing with something that's uh, a shadow figure or something like that. I don't think just. No, they're you not know, taking sage. Yeah, well, I mean sage and all that. I just don't, to me it doesn't work. But uh, there's no. a lot of people here in the states that say it does, and they they do what you say. They charge or they do this or that. But based on your experience, I, I guess you're with me at the same point that there's a certain way to get rid of these things. It's not through sage and stuff like that. No, it's not. You you need to be pretty strong to get rid of something like that. At, at the end of the day, I use sage just to cleanse my house every month to clear all the energies of what's happened in the month. You know, I just use that as like a, an air, air freshener, if you like, or an air spray just to cleanse the energy. But that is not going to work against an energy like that, I'm telling you. So, you know, as I said, with that, with Matthew Hopkins, I just thought, you know what? 
he's not moving. I'm not wasting my energy anymore. I'm not getting any more people hurt. I'm giving up and going. It's as simple as that. And I can't understand how people can like hit a Tibetan bowl and say a prayer and then it's clear. I just don't. I don't get that. And so I don't think they're dealing with a demon. I think, if anything, and then the people say, oh, yeah, it's all good here now, that psychologically they think it's good. And that black shadow was most probably half spirit manifestation. You know, we're like stage four. So rather than a blue mist or a white mist, it's a black mist, and it's in the in the shape of a human. Because I see black shadows go through my hall like every day. And I'm like, hey, granddad. You know, because that's how they—that's how they've—they've they've created their image. Perhaps they needed to work on just the dark shadow, so you saw them easier. You know, but just because they're dark, it doesn't mean they're dark energy. But you'll know it when you feel it. You'll know it if you're facing one that is a baddie. I'm telling you now, you just want to puke. You'll start shaking. Your spine feels like it's been ripped out of your bottom, out of your butt. Excuse my French. And you just feel absolutely horrific and you freeze and you can't breathe. And that's when you know that you've got something really nasty there. And as I say, I've been ghost hunting for 25 years. I've been doing this since I was born, basically. And all I will say to you is, isn't it funny that there's certain people out there in the media that always seem to meet demons? And it's just, I, I all I will say is, like attracts like. I attract Lots of spirit people that need help. Lots of spirit people that want to say hello and I love you to people. And I just wonder how these people seem to always think everything's demonic or dark or negative. You know, I watch it on the television. And I'm like, oh, God, we've got a bad one here. And I'm thinking, no, you haven't. What are you talking about? Oh, I just saw a dark shadow. Yeah, it's a baddie. I'm like, no, it's not. It's a half manifestation. Get over yourself. So like attracts like. And I think some people almost invite it in because of their, their attitude of everything's negative and there's negative spirits out there. Half of them have gone in that pool and have diminished. They don't even exist anymore, you know. And, yes, I'm, I'm not stupid. I do know there's negative energies. I do know there's types of demonic energy, which I think most of them are manifested from human energy, to be honest with you. I think a lot of them are manifested from negative people. Um, you know, we all work on frequency and sound and light and dark. And I think that sometimes humans can create their own problems by what they're creating. I'm not being rude. Most of the house clearances I've been in where they've been difficult spirit people, not being rude to these people if they're listening, right? But they're, the places are dumped. They're drug users or they're abusive, you know, or there's problems going on in the house. And as I say, you know, I've never in my life ever had any visitation or had any entity come near me that's bad, ever. The only bad ones is when I've walked into their environment, their space, because I want to investigate them. So that tells you a lot. Like attracts like. If you work in the light, you only like experience the light energies unless you walk into somewhere you know it's negative, right? And so it just makes me, it just interests me. Are there certain people on these certain TV programs that all they tend to do is deal with demons and dark energies and animals and God knows what, things that aren't human? And I think, God, why do you keep coming across these? What do you think on that? Am well, I, I think wrong? that it has a lot to do with ratings, I think. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> I think it has a lot to do with ratings because, uh, and I'm not, I'm not going to mention shows or anything, but we have been to places, uh, me and Kevin have been to places that uh, were on these uh, reality ghost hunting shows, and we found out some things about it. I'm not going to mention names or anything, but there's a lot of extra stuff that goes into these shows 
that really doesn't happen but ends up being in the show anyway oh, and it's all done for, it's done for ratings it's done for but let me ask you one more question real quick because we've only got yeah. like three minutes but we're going to go over i've actually i'm going to give you a compliment i have skipped all the commercials through this show because i'm fascinated we haven't even had a commercial and i just said i'm not doing them this time i'm i'm the host so i can do what i want right <laughs> But, yeah, I've, I've skipped commercials and everything because you had so much good stuff to say. But oh, thank you. Let me ask you one more question. Like I said we only got three minutes, but we are going to run over, so I'm just letting Donald know we'll run over for a couple minutes because I want you to answer this question for us. Okay. How important, if somebody is facing, if it's important at all, but let's say somebody is walking into a situation where there's something not there that's not human and, and is basically, and I don't even know why it's there either, but let's just say it's there and it's causing havoc. Will our spirit guides or somebody from the other side that's with us, are they able, do you think, to force that away from us or protect us from that or, or have it move on? I, I, I tried it with Matthew Hopkins and I tried it with this monk. Basically, they will protect you. Um, so, for instance, as I said, my granddad's with me. He protects me and my guides protect me. And that's another one of my bugbears, right? These people that say, oh, a circle of protection and we've got to do light protection. No, you haven't because you're protected since you were born. So you don't have to do that. However, um, I think there are certain people, horses for courses, there are certain people that have got the strength and the guides behind them to actually deal with those type of, those type of entities and some that aren't. And so I don't know if I'm not the right person to deal with, like, for instance, that Matthew Hopkins or, the, or that bloody horrible monk. I don't know. But I think there's some people, we've all got different jobs down here as light workers. And so I think there are certain people that do have the guides to actually say, right, this is what you need to do. This is how you get rid of them. You know, that's how, that's how I feel with, about it. Um, and so, for, for instance, for me, yes, I can, I can um, send over lost people, lost souls or people that are scared or whatever. But for some reason, the two that I met, I didn't have a, I couldn't do a thing. And I spoke to Julie and she's just, just walk away, just leave it. You're fine. You're protected. There's no problem. We allowed you to feel, um, cause I said, well, why did you let me feel that then? And they said, well, we need you to feel the negative. So, you know, for next time I'm like, all oh, right. Okay. So I can recognize it, but I do feel that there are people out there that is their job to deal with that. Not that they deal with it not on an everyday basis. Um, all I know is, yes, we're protected. I always have my my granddad's rosary, only because he used to take that on um, house clearances and ghost hunts himself. I always take a hematite to keep me grounded. Um, and then I walk in, and one thing my granddad told me is, don't ever, ever show fear. Stand your ground. Do not run away. Show that you are strong because they are not as strong as you. They can throw you around, but your soul is alive and living and theirs is just trying to grab onto any energy it can. We've protected your energy. We've got you. Do what you need to do and we can see if we can take it further. And so that's exactly what happened with Matthew Hopkins, witch hunter general. I basically went, right, let's take him on. And he was not moving. He was just throwing pots around and smashing them. Carried on slashing the blokes back. I went, right, we're done then. And I just walked. And perhaps I needed to walk so someone else that could deal with it come in and dealt with it. But in the end, the building fell down anyway, so nobody can go near it. So perhaps, you know, who knows? Perhaps Spirit World or someone created the smash of that of that area so that because they knew that they could nobody could ever get him over. Who knows? 
you know so it's a massive it's a massive opening question but i think the final answer would be is that there are certain people that do have the ferocity and the strength and the power behind them to deal with those things um and i don't think i'm a demon whatever you call it demonologist I don't think I can deal with that. And to be quite honest with you, I don't really want to. I, I'm here to educate people and to spread awareness of everything I'm told from up above um, and help people through their darkest times and through loss. So that's my path. And so I'm sure there are genuine people out there and their path is to eradicate all these black masses. It's, it, it seems to be getting a lot more because of the negativity of humanity. You know, and I just think there are certain people that, yes, do have it. But what I do know is I'm always protected. I don't have to do a circle of protection. I don't have to do a bloody wah, 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 wah. come and come and protect us. There already are. Otherwise, I'd be getting them in my bedroom every night, wouldn't I? Oh, that's and true. So, you know, it's like, you know, people say, oh, I need a cloak of protection. Why? Did you have visitations when you was a baby? No. Did you know cloak about cloak of protection as a baby? No. Well, that's because you're looked after by angels and guides. So if you don't have faith in them, you know, that's why you're asking for cloak of protection or whatever they call it. That means you haven't got faith in the people who look after you. And I say, I've got total faith. I don't have to say I'll do anything. But I just take those as my little human totems, you know, my little bit of kit to take with me. And I give those to people that get scared on investigation. So psychologically, they feel better and grounded. And I have a little safe zone for them to go and they hold my granddad's rosary, hold a hematite, perhaps a bit of rose quartz, and then they're in a safe environment. Um, and it makes them feel better. But I do know that we're all protected. It's as simple as that. Um, and I do believe, as I said before, there are people and it is their life purpose down here to eradicate the darkness. And I don't tend to delve in that, to be honest with you. Um, I've had a couple of dodgy, when I was a teenager, a couple of dodgy um, seances where things went very, very wrong. And I've learnt my lesson. And I don't feel that's part of what I can do. Whereas I do know there are genuine people out there and that is part of their, you know, main purpose is to eradicate, I think, the energies built up by lots of people and their intentions. Not negative people, not everybody. I'm talking about negative, nasty people or communities where it's full of lots of nasty people. I think they can manifest the energy to, to almost... It's almost like Frankenstein, isn't it? It's like you... you the, the, Perhaps there's a negative spirit person, but then if it's wandering around and then starts feeding off of everybody's negative energy in the area, it gets stronger. That's how I see it, you know. And as I say, I really can't comment on animals. Um, I've seen things go up walls, but then I thought, no, that's just imagery for them to scare me. I'm not having it. So I can't comment on, you know, these wolves and people that say about these monsters and things they see because I really haven't seen them and I don't entertain it for one minute to be honest with you um and as i say I've, I've sensed things that aren't human but then my lot pull me away and i've got absolutely no knowledge um can't blend with them nothing they don't they don't want me anywhere near them and they just pull me away so that's obviously for someone else to sort out <laughs> i understand all right nikki we're at the end of our show here tell everybody how to get a hold of you because there's going to be a lot of people probably wanting to get a hold of you to have you do readings and stuff for them so and oh, tell us about your youtube channel and do me a favor and and give all those uh people out there that have this ability of being psychic or meetings that website that your friend has too if you don't care to do that again for them all real yes. quick of course it's his website is the spiritguides.co.uk 
Um, and again, that that anything you want, or you can just email him. All his contact details are on there if you need help over in the states, because I'm, he covers all around there. Um, I'm Nikki Allen, which is N I C K Y A L A N. If you put that in and just put UK Medium, you're going to come up with my website, which is nikkiallen.co.uk. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram. And as I say, the Bedroom Guru was something that the angels told me to do where I was teaching people from my bed when I was ill. And it's carried on since then. And people love the fact that I sit in my bed without any makeup, without my hair being done, because I think I'm being very real. And... uh, and you can come along, ask questions, anything you want answered. I deal with those as well. So anything you want to know, you can email me as well, nickyallen 333 at gmail.com. And just ask me anything you want. I'll answer it through the videos or I'll direct message you. Just come and ask for help and I'll be there to do whatever you need me to do. And I want to thank you guys for allowing me to this big long leash so I can let rip on everything I wanted to talk about. It's been fabulous, darling. Well, I think we could probably go another two hours, couldn't we, Nikki? <laughs> I just wish I was there now because it's bloody cold here. <laughs> oh, no, it's bloody cold here, too. Oh, We're, is it? <laughs> oh, yeah. We, well, this morning it was uh, 60 degrees, and they're talking snow by Saturday here. So it, oh, we have really? the fluctuating weather. But, Nikki, thank you so much for being on. And uh, I'm probably going to send you an email and say, hey, do a reading on me here pretty soon because everybody thinks I'm crazy <laughs> anyway. But uh, Next week, folks, we're going to be talking about Octagon House in Franklin, Kentucky. We're going to have the owner on and hopefully Bear, who was on our probably one of our first episodes ever years ago, who takes care of the uh, facility there in Franklin, Kentucky. It's one of the most haunted Civil War locations in Kentucky. Me and Kevin's been there plenty of times. KentuckyGhostHunter.com, uh, if you need to get a hold of us, go there. And as always, you can listen to our archives at bbsradio.com. Nikki, thanks for being on, folks, and don't forget, next week we're on at the same time. Yeah, yeah thank thanks, you. Nikki. Tuesday, 9 p.m. Central Time, guys. We'll see you then. Nikki, thank you very much, and folks, we'll see you next week. Bye.